Hey, Cracked fans. If you're a listener of this podcast, I imagine you feel fairly similar to how I do about the latest clothing options made available across the tennis market. Now, while I won't call out any brand in particular, I will say this. Given the exorbitant nature of the latest designs, feels like you better be pretty freaking good at tennis if you want to wear that sort of clothing on the court. Now, thankfully, we here at Crack Rackets are now able to provide a far more suitable, far more comfortable, and I'm going to be honest, far more stylish option for all of our Crack Rackets fans, courtesy of our friends over at Lucky Racket. Lucky Racket uses some of the best fitting and feeling tees in the world. Their shirts are combed, ring-spun, heirloom cotton, and tri-blend Bella and Canvas. I don't even know what that means, but that sounds spectacular. So, how can you get yourself some Lucky Racket gear? It's simple. Just go to their website, luckyracket.com, that's L-U-C-K-Y-R-A-C-K-E-T.com, and use our promo code CRACK15. If you do, you'll get 15% off all of your purchases. That means 15% off the shirts, 15% off all of the incredible swag offered by our friends. Again, that's luckyracket.com. The promo code is CRACK15. Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Friday, January 14th. I find myself saying this far too frequently to begin these shows, and I do apologize for that fact. But folks, busy, busy times right now across levels in the tennis world. Here's something ridiculous to say out loud. The 2022 Australian Open begins next week, and of course, the biggest question mark still surrounding that event. Will we see Novak Djokovic participating in the competition this year? Now, the latest development in this saga seems to indicate that he will not be playing at the year's first Grand Slam, as Immigration Minister Andrew Hawke announced Friday that the Australian government had rescinded Djokovic's visa moving forward. Now, Djokovic and his lawyers have filed an appeal. They'll try to hear that appeal in an expedited fashion. You can't help but think of the countless, perhaps more urgent immigration claims that have been pushed aside in favor of solving this Djokovic fiasco, but no one comes out of this looking pretty, right? I mean, not the Australian government, not Tennis Australia, not Novak Djokovic. This entire thing has been a mess, and of course, we've tried to cover each step of this saga along the way. We've been so fortunate to be joined by editorial producer David Kane of Tennis Channel, Tennis.com fame uh, for multiple podcasts. He's actually going to join me on a separate mini-break podcast later today to offer another update on that saga. But of course, we want to preview the action that's happening on court this weekend and this upcoming week and of course again really exciting times right now for tennis fans the college tennis season right around the corner and of course our college contender series wrapping up we've uh, previewed our top 10 teams excuse me on both the men's and women's side entering this season if you've missed any of those episodes you can catch up on them all on our website crackrackets.com or on the great shot podcast feed you can go here from countless power five men's and women's head coaches over on our cracked interviews podcast feed and of course we know kickoff weekend right around the corner actual matches being played this weekend as well. You've got ATP Challenger action rocking and rolling. Australian Open qualies officially in the books. I'm going to have Damian Koos joining me on the show tomorrow to recap all of that play. Needless to say, 
plenty for us to discuss, but we want to get excited about the tennis happening in Australia. Again, year's first Grand Slam right around the corner. So many things to get excited about. That generational shift we always talk about, it's happened. There are new faces at the top of the men's game, new faces at the top of the women's game. Each of these players still trying to assert themselves as the definitive presence, the definitive power moving forward in professional tennis. As such, watching all of those battles that fight in the pecking order sift itself out, it's what makes this action in Australia so exciting, so compelling for us tennis fans. And of course, we hear crack rackets know it's our job to prepare you for that action talk about the contenders talk about the dark horses preview the things we think will become most important over the course of the next two weeks as such that's what we're doing on today's podcast and i know this is traditionally a gsp sort of show uh, but of course there's a lot of preview content for us to crank out right now and we got to use the various podcast channels at our disposal as such on today's show i'm joined by a returning champion and one of my favorites nina pantic from universal tennis to name our top contenders to capture the women's singles title at this year's australian open now i'm sure many of you listeners can guess who some of those top names are but look the depth in women's tennis is outstanding right now and i as always can say i think you can make a short list of 32 players at least you could throw on there make a case for without being laughed out of the room that's how talented how deep and how unsure things are at the top right now of women's tennis should make for an exciting grand slam certainly made for an exciting podcast here today excited to share it with all of you listeners of course quickly before i do and i'll be very brief because i know this intro is on the longer side a shout out to all of you listeners our crack rackets patreon family who can expect match of the day uh, podcast throughout the course of the australian open for your continued support it allows us to do all the things we do here a shout out of course as well to our friends at tennis point you all know the deal tennis-point.com promo code cr15 to get all of the latest equipment at all of the best prices. With that said, though, let's get to it. Today's preview podcast talking Australian Open women's top contenders with one of our favorites, Nina Pantic. Joining us on the podcast once again today is a returning champion to our Crack Racket shows. Of course, you know her now as the marketing manager for all things Universal Tennis. I know her as my friend Nina Pantic. Nina, welcome back to the show. How are you doing today? It is an honor to be back. Oh my god, it's been it's been so long. It's been a full month. I get you got a month off from my voice. You know, I, I had to recover after you called out my nerd dumb and I was like, I need a month until I'm ready to face Nina again, but I've sussed out all of the nerdiness and now I'm a cool podcast host ready to, to pod with you. I can't afford to burn this bridge, so I'm so glad <laughs> to be back. Just tell you on uh, the list of things you can afford to uh, burn this bridge is like 1a very clearly uh number 1a but it is great to have you back on the show and maybe something you might know better than anyone else here on a tennis channel podcast network show we are contractually obliged to lead with the latest Novak Djokovic story of course that Djokovic story being that he has found out he's been informed by the Australian government by Australian immigration minister that his visa has officially been canceled what does that mean still kind of unclear one would think with his visa being canceled that he will be deported that of course would be the typical procedural uh follow-up to that sort of decision but as we've learned there will be another appeal process lodged and if we learned anything from the first appeal process it's that you never know 
quite exactly how this story is going to turn out. Of course, it is worth noting that last time, why was the decision overturned? It was on procedural procedural grounds. Novak Djokovic wasn't granted the proper allotted amount of time to get his documentation in order and come up with his excuses as to why there were so many uh, discrepancies in his initial visa request. Of course, it's always worth considering in this story, Novak Djokovic, the most prominent probably immigrant to try and enter the country in the past 10 years to have himself rejected. Just think of the millions of immigrants who aren't able to have the high-profile lawyers and the high-profile case all documented and immediately responded to. It's worth keeping that context in mind. But of course, here we are a tennis podcast. We want to focus on the Novak Djokovic aspect of the story You know, there's a lot of different directions I could take this. The impact on the draw, the impact moving forward on the tour. I'm not going to do that, though. I just want to leave it an open question to you. Your response to all of this. I think it's been a circus. No one looks good. That's a fact. Every day has been a different news cycle. It's been so up and down. I cannot imagine if he does end up playing by some miracle. Now it feels like it's going to be a miracle for him to play, but 24 hours ago was like guaranteed he was going to play. So it's been confusing. I cannot imagine how he would even perform once he actually, if he actually gets to play. So it's just been a mess in the circus. And you know what I've enjoyed, not enjoyed, that's not the right word, but what I've noticed is how mainstream, whenever tennis goes mainstream, it's always for something bad, I like know. something really, really bad. When my friends that do not play tennis are texting me about tennis news, something bad has happened. And it's like people are excited to talk about it, but it's never good. And I, I hate that. So this has been really bad, I think, for everyone. I'm... I'm actually curious to see how the draw does change if he does pull out, because this would probably be the first time, I don't know, if if ever the Australian Open lost the top seed after the draw was made. So, I mean, the implications are are numerous and and overall very negative for everyone. So it's a mess. And of course, the other thing he faces with uh, this visa cancellation is a three-year ban from Australia. And of course, he's won nine Australian Opens in his career. It's the slam he's had the most success at. He still is in pursuit of his 21st major title. All of these little things factor into this as well. And you're right, there is not a single person who comes out of this looking rosy. Not the Australian government, not Craig Tiley and Craig Tennis Australia, certainly not Novak Djokovic as more information continues to emerge surrounding his scenario. I don't think the ATP tour looks particularly good as well. Once again, they are, you know, extraordinarily busy finding time not to comment on anything. And so that's that's clearly the struggle for them and just You know, I even think for the WTA tour moving forward, this is something you want to get in front of as well, just so that, and I know it it appears certainly that, you know, the majority, if not all of the prominent players on the WTA tour have already been vaccinated. I believe they've reported that they are over the 80% threshold. The ATP reported that 97% of the top 100 is vaccinated. We're talking about three examples. One of them just happens to be the most prominent on the ATP tour. That's where I want to end this conversation quickly is just how do we avoid this situation moving forward? And to me, the simplest situa- uh, simplest solution would be a vaccine mandate. And I, I understand the U.S. Supreme Court just overturned Joe Biden's vaccine mandates, and that does have implications. Will, uh, will the ATP WTA tours be allowed to do it? Although I would point out again, it's an international sport. I know other countries will have vaccine mandates. Some will not. But the simplest way to avoid gray area, in my opinion, is to just say, look, here's the choice. You're vaccinated. You play. You're not. You're not going to be able to play. There's no gray area in that scenario. To me, that that seems like the only option, Nina. Am I missing anything? It does seem like a no-brainer, but it's so tricky because, like, different governments are different, right? Like, I think even to enter the U.S., you could – 
be unvaccinated. You just have to have a negative test in the past day, a PCR test. So the problem is that like, you'd have to have the whole world be on board. And we're not going to get political on this particular podcast, but there's just so much gray area in every single country and tennis is so international, but you're right. There's only the, the biggest solution is to get rid of the gray area, yeah. but that's not giving anyone freedom. And we do love our freedom. So my biggest concern, my biggest like issue now is that Novak hasn't had a, a a chance or hasn't taken the chance to speak out publicly. So without people being able to ask him these questions and really discuss it publicly, it's tricky to know how to judge him and judge anyone without knowing the full story. And until we have him on a, on a microphone speaking, I mean, I, I'm not really sure what's going to happen, but I'd love to hear from him. And I know there's a lot of juicy questions people want to ask him, but I'd be curious to hear from him directly. True story. The tagline for the PTPA is liberty, freedom, and justice for all. That's all we know they stand for. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, you know, our better press conference here. This is where we can actually end things. Djokovic family or Scott Morrison? Which one did you enjoy more? The family. Come on. That was good. <laughs> that was so good. I mean, of course, his family is going to defend him to the to the very end. And you, know, you have to respect that in a way. But yeah, the family one was, was common. It was, was, was gold. There, uh, Mrs. Djokovic referred to him winning the appeal as his greatest victory of all time. And that was the first question I was given when I did a TV hit. And I was like, well, at least it was on a court. I was like, I think that counts. But, like, that was the lead-in question. I was like, I don't know about that. I was like, this is – I was like, what are we doing? I wish, I wish we could just get back to the tennis, you know, honestly. I, like, I, I think everyone's had an opinion. Everyone's had these stances. And it's not a good – it's not a good conversation And no matter what direction you go. So I'm happy that – the tournament is going to start. Will he be playing? We don't know, but that's okay because tennis is going to happen. And that's a really big win because you never know, like the tournament could have moved to a different country, could have been canceled. I mean, the pandemic is, is clearly surging all over the world. So that's our primary focus. Well, I'm just trying to think what could be the next tennis story that could puncture international news, like actually related to tennis, because it's not the fact that there was no International Tennis Hall of Fame nominees for the first time since 1955, which... By the way, Nina is freaking crazy. Like you'd think they could find one player. The list of nominees was so great too. We had Ivanovic, we had Kara Black, we had uh, Flavia Panetta, we had Lisa Raymond. I, I'm, I'm not, I'm not sure what happened there. Yeah, Nina Pantic's on the ballot. You, I'm on the ballot. That we look, think we could. We have Lane Hewitt, and that's that's actually great because Layton's going to get his whole year and he's going to be the primary focus of the entire ceremony in July, which is pretty cool. So, so we have Layton Hewitt and that's exciting. And uh, yeah, I'm going to look at the, uh, the positives of the situation. Yeah. I'm trying to think who had a better career, Layton Hewitt or Ana Ivanovich. I mean, evidently for now, the thought is Layton Hewitt, but uh, slam wise, they're pretty similar. No, I think Hewitt has two slams and she's got one. But the, yeah. the the key though is that it does show the Hall of Fame is very serious about who they let about who they let in, which is cool because it shows that they're not just going to let anyone in. I mean, not that these people are anyone, but you know what I mean. Like they're they're showing that there is a certain criteria and they have to follow the rules. And the Hall of Fame, you know, has a certain set of like what you need to do and how and who has to vote and seventy five percent vote and all this different stuff. So you know what? It's showing that they're sticking to their their their, their criteria and their voting process. And democracy, right? Yeah. And that's we love we freedom. We love freedom. That's the we thing. We love here. rules. <laughs> we don't love gray area. We don't yeah. love gray area. I like that. No, that's good. I mean, yeah, it, I, I think the biggest argument I've ever gotten in with Ben Rothenberg is at the end, he just goes, Alex. If you think it's the Hall of Very Good, that's fine. But to me, it's the Hall of Fame. And I was like, damn. I was like, okay. Right. 
Yeah, and it's a, it's a it's a fascinating argument. And they get to they get to be on the ballot for three years. You could yeah. still see Ivanovich and Panetta and all of them could still make it on. So no one needs to no one needs to panic just yet. These things take time, and it feels like Ivanovich just retired anyway. So it's yeah. okay. It's only three years. I thought it was five. I think it's five. Has yeah. it been five years? Yeah. No. Yeah. No. No. Sorry. It's only three years. You're on the Hall of Fame ballot. Yeah, yeah, I think continuously, and you can come back. I'm not sure what the rules are. Uh, I need to look at. Yeah, you're right. It's the I am on a committee, thing. but my committee is like not yeah. relevant. I don't, I don't. Junior. Vote. It's a junior committee. Junior. Committee. Exactly. It's not, it's not irrelevant. Yeah. We on. brainstorm and host <laughs> events. We don't, we don't vote. You're on one of the brainstorming committees. That's funny. Yeah. Oh, I like that. That's good. All right. With that said. Let's talk about the tennis because you're right. Yes. I mean, unfortunately, it's been drowned out a bit in the mainstream conscious, but of course, it is never drowned out here at Cracked Rackets, and we know it is our job to ensure you listeners remain the best informed, most well-educated fans in the business. As such, we've tried to break down this Australian Open from every possible angle, talking about the men's contenders, men's dark horses, women's dark horses, but on this show... We're talking contenders and a theme that has permeated all of our episodes and I think is uh, one of the critical ones heading into this 2022 professional tennis season is the idea of the generational shift we've all talked about over the past couple of years. And obviously it feels a bit more prominent on the men's side, mostly because of the dominance of Rafa and Djokovic, who I think have won 12 out of the last 14 grand slams. But you know, certainly Medvedev wins his first, team wins his first, Zverev wins back, you know, multiple ATP tour finals and wins a gold medal. And, you know, the Casper Ruds of the world, Hubi Hercotts of the world, Yannick Sinners, FAAs of the world, they're making their push. On the women's side, it feels notable, once again, that the oldest Grand Slam champion in the 2021 season is 26-year-old Barbara Krejcikova, right? And certainly by no, I don't think anyone would consider her a veteran, given last year was really our first exposure to her at the highest WTA levels, of course. Barty, 25 years old, and Naomi Osaka still, what, 23, 24, Radakanu 18 when she wins the U.S. Open. I think it's time to put the term generational shift to bed, Nina. I think the shift has happened, right? Like, I'm, I'm pretty sure that Pliskova and... You know, Muguruza, 29-28, are the oldest women in the top 10 as well. That's not old. You know, I just, I think we have seen, and it feels notable, no Serena Williams in the draw. I feel like the generational shift has happened in both the men's and women's game. The shift is interesting in the women's game because it feels less obvious, right? As you've explained here, like the women are older. So we have women in our in their mid-20s that are the favorites to win the title. And it feels like it's a shift because they're not in their 30s because they're not Serena and Venus. But it, it's different. I think you, you explained it pretty well there. But, like, yeah, I think the shift has happened. It was just so gradual. And the difference has been that we haven't had Serena winning 12 of the last 14 majors. So it's been a far more open game. And there's been so many different winners, which is really exciting and fun. And I think that's why um, I'm really glad we're talking with the women this time because the men are a mess. So this is great. Yeah, it feels like one of those staggered race starts where it's like we're handing the baton off and, like, slowly people have anyone been... Anyone could... I think anyone could win this Australian Open just because I felt the same way last year as well. I feel like it's just, you know, Naomi Osaka is, is an obvious favorite. I'm going to get into this, but like, there's no one that I'm like, you know what? They are guaranteed to win this slam. Mm-hmm. No, I, I would completely agree with you. And with that in mind, again, we've put together a list of top contenders for this event. On that note, I, I do just kind of want to explore that thought. 
because we did the I did the dark horse episode version of this, and it's like, is Belinda Bencic really a dark horse? Like, yeah, she's a twenty two seed, but she just won the Olympics, and we know how good she can be when she plays her best tennis. It's like Victoria Azarenka, who, if you've watched the first two weeks, looked excellent week one, despite being knocked out in three sets by Sviantek. It's like, is someone who, <clears throat> excuse me, just made the Indian Wells final four months ago, made the U.S. Open final. 18 months ago and won the Western Southern Open there as well. Like, do you consider her a dark horse or is she a contender? It's really tough for me, like, to, to come up with these contenders because, to your point, yeah. I think it's wide open. It is. And I think I think a dark horse has to be, I mean, this was at tennis.com, has to be unseated or, or below a 16 sure. seed. So Benchich could be one because she's 22. So, like, um, there's a lot of players, I think, that are unseated that are massive threats, at least to make it to week two. You know, maybe they won't win, but we can get into it but yeah there's i got a few on my list that are i've got one on my list unseated yeah no that's what we're talking about if there's an unseen now I love I, that I, yeah you have my attention thoroughly well you know i love tears as well i can't help i can't help it when i'm making a list i break it down by groups to me there are two players definitively in a tier above everyone else when you look at the contenders entering this 2022 Australian Open Women's Singles Competition. And to me, those two players are Ashley Barty and Naomi Osaka. Let's just start there. Would you agree with that assessment? So that's great because I have Ashley Barty as my top and I was like, Naomi, nah, which is messed <laughs> up, which is messed up because she is absolutely a favorite, but I did not put her on my list and I had a reason for it. Interesting. Um, my reason is because her section of the draw is brutal. Yeah. No, well, her, I mean, maybe not her. I, I think like Amanda Anisimova is in such great, great form right now and has like so much, has like nothing to lose, which is pretty dangerous. So mm-hmm. I, I've picked Anisimova to get out of that section. Yeah. Ooh. Which is bold because she played Benchich in round two. I was going to say. I feel like, I feel like, in, like being more like you and just picking, you know, <laughs> these like dark, crazy horses and i think barty would beat osaka if they were to face off i think it'd be a fourth round well so i make it why i was gonna say i make it a point not to look at the draw when i do these oh of i don't so like I picking go- people that are in the same section because it's like well i can't be like oh osaka and barty they're my top two when like they play each other in fourth round so that's a bold so bold I'm, gonna, I'm gonna actually disagree with that and say that's why they're my top two because one of them's probably one getting through it's like i one of them's gonna look good in the end so at least you're getting something right but you know, I just think it's worth mentioning you look for Naomi Osaka uh, again since the start of the restart in August of 2020. She's 30 and 4 on hard courts. And like you look at who the losses are to, three sets to Layla Fernandez, which in the moment felt weird. Fernandez goes on to make the US Open final. I don't think that's a bad loss. One in four to Vondrusova in Tokyo. Again, on paper, doesn't look the best. Vondrusova, though, goes on to win the silver medal. Osaka had not played since Miami. And, you know, yes, she was in the French Open draw. She doesn't end up playing that French Open. So I don't think that's a particularly poor loss. She loses 0-4 to Sakari in the Miami quarterfinals. Again, I don't view that as a bad loss. And then the only other two withdraws to Mertens last year before the Australian Open, a withdraw to Azarenka in that Western Southern final. Like, I just... I think we—I don't want to say we forget, but I think we undervalue the fact that Naomi Osaka has proven when she is healthy, she is the best women's player on a hard court. When she is serving well and playing front foot tennis and moving well and fit, she's just better than everyone else. Like, she can get to a range of power tennis and— All right, it's going to slip out. She's obviously a member at Serena Williams Power Tennis Country Club, owns one of the nicest houses in the the block. Um, Like, 
I think I saw enough from her in that first week. In, you know, and it wasn't the toughest draw, you know, Cornet and Zinevska uh, and Petkovic, but she beat them all. And, like, I thought she looked progressively better throughout the course of the tournament. I saw all I needed to see from her in week one. She There were moments when she played her best tennis, and her best is still better than everyone else's. And you, like, what, I mean, the walkover, okay, look, I, 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 I think Naomi Osaka is a threat to win every, every tournament, of course. I completely agree with that. But Barty is just so much more stable. Like, mm-hmm. Barty has lost two matches since, like, before Wimbledon. Yeah. It's outrageous. No. And I know she doesn't, she doesn't play that much. I get it. She's picking and choosing her calendar very well and like casually winning doubles titles sometimes. <laughs> but but she just seems a lot more stable. But then the added pressure of like, yeah, home slam is like <clears throat> a pro and con for someone like Barty because it's like nerve wracking to play at home. But I think it's going to be 50% capacity. Um, I guess that's that's good. Uh, so I don't know. I, I just think, I just think if I had to pick like who was going to win a Barty Osaka match next week, I would be like Barty. Barty's just also, I'm looking at my probability sites, uh, my probability insights by universal tennis. And it's this cool head to head thing that we have. And like, look, take it, take it with a grain of salt, but it says right now, if they played 70% chance that Barty would beat Osaka. So that's based on so much stuff though. It's based on their ratings. It's based on their head to head record. It's based on their common opponents, which is kind of cool. Cause you don't think about that, right? Like who they've beaten and lost to. And then based on like their best win and best loss. And it's only the past, um, I think past year, past 15 I, months. I'm in. I mean, I, I like to use not to plug the competition. I am a big fan of the Jeff, Ab, uh, Jeff Sackman's tennis abstract, all the match. Oh yeah. Heads, no, you yeah. can have them both. It's okay. Okay. That's what I was going to say. This is another data point though. They're different. I'm putting, yeah. I'm literally putting that in the queue. Like, okay, look up the UTR head to heads throughout the week. It is just, you talk about the Barty side. And again, I think they're both tier one. Like I would of go, course. Ooh, Tough question. I mean, I would still say Osaka 1A, Barty 1B. I think Naomi Osaka has a game inherently built to beat an Ashley Barty. She just does the one thing that can still expose the closest thing Barty has to a weakness, which is just big serve into the backhand over and over and over again. And what was so crazy about Barty's Adelaide title was how ho-humming it was. Like, A... I think the three-set win over Coco Goff is going to age well because watching Goff play, I know she lost last night. We're recording this Friday, January 14th, I want to say. Uh, she's just lost a three-set semifinal to Madison Keys, but Madison Keys is playing some great tennis right now. You made my list. Yeah. Let's go, uh, Madison. Uh, so that makes me so happy because I proposed her as a dark horse yesterday to David Kane, and he shot me down very hard. And I was what? like, yeah, I was like, you're wrong, David. You're just wrong about this one. She's uh, showing that like spark of brilliance. I've been what we've been waiting for, you know, like this is her, she's had time to kind of like hide out and now she's ready I to could, win. I could not agree more. And again, I want to get back to her, but yes. for Barty, comes back from a set and a breakdown to beat Goff. I think Goff was playing pretty well. And obviously, I think if you watch Goff play, whether it was the match against Konya, the match against Kostyuk, she's playing good ball uh, heading into. She's just rejuvenated, refreshed. That's a good win. Barty just stretched Kennan into the outer thirds of the court and made that match physical and looked so much better as a mover from the Goff match to the Kennan match. The Sviantec match was was just phenomenal. Like, that was peak Ashley Barty. Shriantek was playing lights out, and, you know, Barty still beat her. The Rubakina match was just weird, but again, Barty ends up getting a title on home soil. 
it's a very narrow 1B. And like, again, these two are, in my opinion, definitively on a tier above everyone else. When I think contenders, these are the two names that come to mind. I just think when Osaka serves well, everyone else loses. And it's like, I That's think true. she's going to serve well. And That's therefore, true. I think everyone else will lose. That's a good X factor, the serve. I did, I did, I do. I'll give you that. I cannot wait for them to play in the fourth round, and we'll be up at like 4 a.m. watching this and arguing. It's going to be great. Uh, let's Twitter spaces. Just me, you, Barty, Osaka. That sounds like a good time. Great. Yeah, it's exactly. Um, no, I mean, so uh, if the, that's my tier one. But I if think there's, I, five, there's five players, and the middle tier then is one person? No, the middle tier is like 17 people. Oh, great. I, I, great. The middle tier Which might be, the, yeah, 117 of the 128 draw. I think I left out Storm Sanders because I was like, I don't think I can talk. You want doubles with Barty. I mean, that's a confidence boost. I know. See? Even right there, you're making the case. All right, 118 players. You don't have to make another case for me. But all right, those are my top two. That's tier one. Are, is it safe to say Barty's in, on, in her own tier for you? If yeah, you were to make it's it safe to tears. say that I have chosen Barty as her own tier, even though she's in that section, and even though um, you make a great argument there. Yeah. I, uh, I'm, all, a, I'm, all, I'm thinking Barty, yeah. It's a brutal section of the draw. I really? mean, you but that kind of makes it more like yeah. rewarding. I hate when, when I don't hate this, but I'm saying when players get through a draw and they play unseated players and they win a title, you're like, oh, I'm, it's great, but it's just not as compelling. So this is far more interesting. Music to my ears. I think it's a little different right now because, again, the depth in the women's game, there are players ranked 40 where you're just like, like, Von Drusova is not in the top 32. That's a joke. And, like, again, former Grand Slam finalist, 22 years old, don't sleep on the Druce. But all of that said, give me the next name on your list. I had Annette Contivate. Oh, that's a great name. Even post 7-6 loss in the third to Krejcikova. I know, but I think that I think it's good to get a few days off. Um, if you're going to lose any time, the semifinals of, of this week is it's a good time because you've got a few wins in and then you have time to recover and kind of process. And I don't think she's uh, losing sleep over that match. I think she's going to be okay. Um, and just, I, I think there's no other player that had as ridiculous of a second half of 2021 as she did, like absolutely outrageous. And to me, to make the semifinals means that she's carrying that momentum on. She didn't just, you know, start slow. So I have a lot of hope in her. And I also just, I, I love the story. It's great. So it's a good call. I mean, you look for Annette Conteve. I'm trying to think if she earns this Grand Slam title in Australia, is able to finish the job. Where do we rank these this run in terms of the all-time runs? Like, it's it really, you start to think about, again, how successful Conteve, uh, excuse me, has been since what? When did this run start? I want to say Moscow like, or, like, Ostrava last no, year. No, no, Cleveland. it started earlier. Cleveland. It was, yeah. like, Cleveland. Yeah. yeah, which is just remarkable. You look for her since Cleveland. So, yeah, that's uh, August 16th, 2021. Since that Cleveland victory, she goes on there and, again, played a really fun three-set match against Fiontech at the U.S. Open. But since that time, 32-6 and six overall. Over again, a six-month run and, you know, it makes the, the championship finals and makes the finals of the championship finals as well. She's been outstanding. I won't lie. She was second to last in my tier two because I just she still— Yeah, when have we seen Krejcikova make—Krejcikova, uh, see, you can see it's built into my head now. When have we seen Conteve make that deep run at a great— she we hasn't. She's made one quarterfinal. And that, but to me, is But it was at the Australian the Open. It's true. And, look, I, 
She's got a really well-rounded game. Like, again, tell me, what's the weakness for Annette Conteve? I don't think there's... I think she has nothing to lose, which is a big factor. When you go into a Grand Slam and you only have, like, upswing, like, that's such a good feeling of being like, look, if I win a match or two or three, like, that's only going to add things. If you lose early, no one's going to be like, oh, my God, she lost. Like, she's a (laughs) 16, but, like, she kind of got there out of nowhere. So I think she has a lot of of potential upswing, and that's a nice way to go into a tournament. She checked off all the boxes in week number one. I mean, again, the bagel over Krejcikova in the first set and fighting off the match points the way she did. She's swinging the ball so cleanly. Do you think Arena Sabalenka is like, can I please have Turnson off back? Like, I just... I really need... She needs her serve back, and she'll be fine. She's like, can I just rent him for two days? I need two days with Dimitri on the serve, and then you can take him back in that. Um... Yeah, it's it, Conte's got to be on the short list. She's earned it. In terms of recent form, and I'm sure if you look at the current UTR, she's got to be top five, right? Like, she's three in the ELO ratings on Tennis Abstract, or maybe even number two right now in the women's game. Let's see, Annette Conte, currently number two behind Barty and ahead of Muguruza and Halep and, you know, yeah, all she's the rest. Too- She's two in the in the in the universe tennis rankings, which is like a pretty sizable jump from six when you're talking top ten. Like that's that's noticeable. Mm-hmm. I agree, and so and, and that's I think how she, she got to number two in my list. Oh my gosh! Yeah, it, I think <laughs> it's science. fair. And yeah, by the way, one of the you know eight people last year to finish top twenty in both hold percentage, break percentage, which makes sense when you go thirty two and six over six months. You're probably doing everything pretty well. I do think it's you know again. Why is she a little bit lower? Because she only has the one quarterfinal run. And I do wonder, once we get to that final eight, which I think she has every intention of reaching, and I think every capability of reaching as well, she is playing that well. And from the eye test, I would say seventh best performer I've seen thus far. Thus, she's at the bottom of tier two. But, like, so my next name, and again, going through the list, I think it's pretty tough to find a clear cut here. Or I should say my name just above Conteve in my tier is Barbara Krejcikova. And like, you know, again, as good as 32 and 6 is, Barbara Krejcikova is 34 and 10 since May of last year. 34 and 10. And let's be clear, she lost six matches in a row. Indian Wells, she loses round of 16. She loses both Billie Jean Cup matches, uh, Billie Jean King Cup matches, and then she loses all three at the Guadalajara Finals. You take those six out... She's 34 and 4. Like, again, you want to take out the two wins at Indian Wells as well? Fine. She's 32 and 4 if you remove those three events since the end of May last year. Like, come on now. And she's already won a Grand Slam final. And she's made a U.S. Open quarterfinal subsequently since then. Round of 16 at Wimbledon, where she lost to the Grand Slam champ in Bardi. She loses in Tokyo to the gold medalist in three sets in Bencic. The Krejcikova thing is real. Like, all of it's real. And watching her come back last night, again, what's the weakness? Like, how do I beat Barbara Krejcikova? You better have the weapons to hit her off the court. And, like, Osaka's got them. That's really it. Look, you're right. This is a great pick. It's on my list as well. I think that she, I think that she's done an incredible job of going from doubles to singles. Like, I don't think we've ever seen anything quite like this so late. Not late. I mean, she's still young. But, like, late in her career in a way. To come out of nowhere and become this like absolute singles powerhouse is is unbelievable. And then she has no weaknesses, which is what you said. And it seems that she's owned it. You know, you could see maybe having a, a run and getting a little intimidated, overwhelmed by the situation. Instead, she's like, no, no, I'm going to be consistent and have this belief in myself. And yeah, she had that loss of six matches. But look, that's a good timing to have a loss of six matches. It's fine. No big deal. Grand slams matter more. I think that um, it also maybe gave her a moment to, to reset and refresh. And you obviously learn a lot more from your losses than your wins. So 
there's positives out of having a losing streak for sure. And, and to have it at the end of the year and then come back and now she's in the finals of Sydney is, is great. So that's a very good pick. But have we looked, I mean, you don't look at draws, which is outrageous. Well, I just, the problem is I saved the draw shows for last and it's just like, no, she's, I don't in a, wanna... she's in a, she's in a good section. She's in, she's in a section with my other favorite, Yelena Ostapenko, um, uh-huh. but my, my sleeper, <laughs> um, but she's in a, d- a decent section. You know, she, um, she opens against Pe- against Petkovic. Yeah, I guess yeah. my my fundamental thing why I don't look at the draw because if I'm going to believe in a player, the draw shouldn't matter. Like that Ooh. is really that's Ooh. why I try to, I know, yeah you know you like that platism. I've been I like that with the, with the cool uh, with the coaches. Um, but yeah, it's just like that's why. And by the way, I have this thing. So Patrick Mahomes is like a month older than me, maybe a little less or a little over a month older than me. And so I always tell myself, oh, you've got a month, Alex. You've got a, a month until you have to figure it all out because Mahomes is a month older than you, so you're fine. Krejcikova is like two months younger than me. Devastating to my developmental path. I'm like, ah, oh, now I'm two months behind after Krejcikova breaks through and wins, you know, again, wins just about everything last year. I mean, year. what are you trying to, what are you trying to do? Win the Australian Open? I would think so. Like, there's a spot open. I'll tell you who's a lucky loser, this guy. Uh, throughout the course of his career. Um, but, yeah, it's... I mean, I just... Uh, again, Krejcikova is closer to the bottom of Tier 2 than she is at the top for me because I, I don't think... I do think there are players who can, on their best days, again, have the weapons to kind of take the ball off her rack and as well as she absorbs and redirects and as good as she is at moving forward. I still think the best version of Sabalenka knocks out Krejcikova. The best version of some of these other players who are a little higher on my list. Although Sabalenka did not crack this list for the first time in like six slams. Yeah, you can't double fault 20 times twice and expect to be on this contender list. Having a moment. Yeah, although of course this is where she might actually be most dangerous. Because like she still almost won the matches. She was horrible serving. And she still almost won both of her matches, which is... Tell me how you really feel. Yeah, exactly. She, well, um, Sabalenka's already been inducted to Serena Williams Power Tennis Country Club. I think I've made my thoughts on her clear over the years. Um, but, again, we have still not gotten to the top of my tier two. Where it was... Conteve is what? Two on your list, you said? Yes. So then give me number three. Because it was, it was, it was Krejcikova. Okay, okay yeah. perfect. So now... Are we in tier two yet? Or are we still in tier one? Or is Barney I mean, your only tier one? I'm I'm I only have five people on my list. So yeah. Contravate is my third. Oh sorry, Krejcikova is my third, then I'm in the bottom two right now. Okay. In- inevitably. Yeah. This is again, you know I cheat. I say let's do five people and then I cheat. Top of my tier two. And the problem with this pick is I'm always worried the moment you think she's going to win something, she loses. But the moment you counter out, and I mean the very moment you counter out, she goes ahead and wins Guadalajara. Of course, I'm talking about Garbine Mukarusa, who probably, if you play last year's Australian Open a hundred times, wins it at least five times. I mean, she had two match points on eventual champion Naomi Osaka, and then she goes through, you know, I forget what comes first, Doha or Dubai, but she finals the first one, wins the second one last year, and was just, I, I thought she was the best player through the first three months of the 2021 WTA season. And I think her peak last year was as high as anyone else's on tour. And obviously she closes it out with the Guadalajara final, dominates in her first match over Alexandrova here this week. Now gets knocked out by a very much informed Kasatkina, who was in, you know, I talked about with David Kane in my sleepers pick, Kasatkina moving the ball extraordinarily well right now. But then I went back and watched the Alexandrova highlights before today's podcast, and 
I mean, when Muguruza is playing line drive tennis, she's just like the the combination of size, speed, fluidity, and power. It's just like she's got it all. She does check off every box where she's quick enough and long enough to track down the plus one ball of an Osaka, but also, you know, physical and punishing enough to, to hurt a Barty on her best day as well. Like, on paper, Muguruza is the option. It's just all mental for her. And, like, I kind of like that she lost going into the week because some of the hype has died down. I mean, there wasn't that much hype to begin with, which is great for her because mm-hmm. being a little under under the radar is good as number three seed as well, which is, like, an impressive feat. Yeah. Um, Again, you hate draws, but she's in a very good section of the draw. So I see your point, but I also think that you've picked like way too many obvious picks. I know. I mean, like if we're going to go with like the top four C, oh, well, we skipped Sabalenka. That was good for us. Um, <laughs> good for the brand. <laughs> yeah, it's good for the brand. Yeah. yeah, no, she's, she's. I mean, a two-time Grand Slam champion. Of course, she's an obvious uh, choice and she has been playing great tennis and she's a third seed and, you know, and would being be, a little under the radar is good, I think, for her. And would be Mentally. one away from a career Grand Slam if she wins this title. In oh yeah, sorry, she's a three-time Grand Slam champion. Woo! Yeah, she would be. She would be one away. She gets this again. French Open, Wimbledon. This would be the Australian Open title she's been looking for. I mean, she's just good. You're right. Like it, it, these things are way too obvious. I agree with you, and that's why you know. Again, when we get to name number four, my second name in tier two. Are you gonna pick first. Clara Tawson? Yeah, I thought about it. And Lee was on the list. I was like, do I just make the Haley Baptiste pick now? Ann Lee's been doing well. I know. And Lee, I mean, I think, again, if you're doing a dark horse pick, like if you're going to go read the tennis.com or the ESPN, whatever, our experts make the picks, I can guarantee you right now all of them will have either Clara Tawson or Ann Lee as the dark horse. Like you can just like lock that in right now. Number four on my list, all right, you want to hear a slightly different name outside the top ten, although, you know, hovering by that top ten and inching closer and closer to it, but my number four name is Elena Rabakina, because Mm -hmm. I just think, again, talk about Serena Williams Power Tennis Country Club, she will be in it someday, and watching her hit some cross-court forehands last week where she's just, her feet are set, her momentum's moving forward in the court. If she can do that, it doesn't matter where she is on the court, she can hit a forehand winner by you. And her ability to lean into that backhand as well, take it down the line, rip the winner cross court, which I actually think is the more impressive winner to hit. She just, there's there's a lot of things Rabakina can do on the court. And again, a combination of size, power, fluidity. She's ended every season of her career ranked higher than the season prior. She's now up to number 12 in the live rankings, which is a career high. She was top 10 in hold percentage last year, 47th in break percentage. Foundationally, she's too good a player to be that low in terms of breaking serve, and I think that comes down to shot choice, being a little less aggressive with that return of serve, even though she can hit any return for a winner when she connects with it well. I just, I'm telling, like, I I will be shocked if Rabakina doesn't enter the top 10 this season. I also think she's got another Grand Slam quarterfinal run in her. She does. She does. I think this is a perfect player for someone who could make a deep run. I don't know if she's ready to win a major just because of the lack of experience. She's still very young and a little bit can be can be a little bit shaky in times. Um, but that goes with the big power tennis. That's that's the price you have to pay to be in Serena's country club. Yeah. So I think I think it's a good choice for someone who's gonna go very deep. I think um, I mean she's proven proven to be a top ten contender. If she's not top ten this year, I agree with you, that would be shocking. I mean she's already number twelve. Like she's yeah. she's on the edge. She also made Grand Slam quarterfinal last year at the French Open and made another run at Wimbledon losing in three on clay, right? yeah, to like, Sabalenka. Yeah. And so yeah, exactly. It's just 
She's good. And it's just like eventually we're going to start factoring in her into second weeks consistently and just seeing her make multiple quarterfinals. Although, to ask any player on the WTA Tour to make multiple quarterfinals, semifinals at the slam, only one player made the fourth round at all four slams last year. Can you guess who that player was? Ooh. No. Iga Shiantek. Only one to oh, make wow. fourth round. I know. And it's like, now, I don't think she made a single quarterfinal. I think she lost in all four fourth rounds. But, like, should count for something. Should count for something that a 20-year-old's the only one who does it at all four slams. That should year. count. That, that that does count for something. That yeah. is great. Well, when we do a year-end cons- award show, we'll we'll call it the Shviantek Award. Who made it yeah. to the round of 16 or further? She deserves this. Yeah, at I the like very that. least. All right. Let's get into the Keys conversation. All right, yeah, Keys. Look, Keys, I just looked up her record, and yeah, look, last year was not her best. There was like a <laughs> six-match six losing streak. Things were not going well for her. But that's exactly why having this great start 2022 is so, so important because it shows a reset and looks like she's maybe like changed, change of at least her mindset. Something's changed in a very, very good way. And another big, my theme this this podcast has been having nothing to lose i mean she really should be just going for it she's ranked outside the top 50 she's like almost out of top 100 i mean why not play to your heart's content at this point and like try not to stress out about it which which is working she's in the finals of um which one was she in adelaide adelaide playing against allison risk Ooh, that's juicy so madison keys up to number 60 now up 27 spots with her success this week. I'm curious where she's at from a UTR basis. Yeah, she's top 50 in UTR. She's 44, which is, which is, which, I mean, she deserves to be, should be ranked sure. top 20. Let's be real. But it's always interesting when that WTA ranking and the, the UTR ranking is different just because the UTR ranking, it shows like where she's at the second, you know, WTA is going to catch up next week because they are weekly. But I, I do love that about our ratings. It shows up every, like every, like twice a day it's updated. And it's based on like how many games you win. It's crazy. I'm so curious super... what her peak UTR is as well. Cause I know that's something and how that peak UTR compares to others, because again, yeah. she's someone who's made a grand slam final. Final, right and you look at the peak elo rating it's up you know it's a top 15 sort of number her best has proven it can be that good um yeah and like madison keys is only 26 years old I, again I, i'm i'm hovering around people my age krechikova keys but like that's not old she's been part of the ecosystem forever but she that's has. usually when the prime is like it's been over 10 years for her being on the pro tour and in spotlight. Like is it she deserved a little bit of a not a slide, a little bit of a of a break from the spotlight and she got it last year and now it's like, "Oh, why not? Why not have the same results she had before?" I mean, she made a US Open final. Like why not do it again? It just seems like in her wheelhouse on hard courts. Um she trains in Florida, right? So like she's used to the heat, she's used to the sun. Like it just seems like a really good conditions for her. Yeah, and no, I mean Again, I support suppose more broadly it's an eye test sort of thing because the results, the numbers won't back it up right now. But she looks fit and healthy right now. And she's playing Australia. a bunch of Americans. And she's gonna... play hard hitters too. It's not as though it's been a cupcake draw. It's like Samsonova was playing lights out. Coco Goff was playing lights out. She beats them both in three sets. And she's in the same – she plays – she opens against Sophia Kennan. And then she's in the same little section as Coco Goff for the third round. So, like, a heavy American draw. But, like, that could be good because you're used to your opponents. You're familiar. You know, it, it, it can be awkward, but it also can be nice to be – to know who you're playing. It is a brutal section. But also, 
talk about the confidence she can gain. You get through Ken in round one, who's not playing her best, but is still the seed there. You can get through another American in golf in round three. Then you've hit the second week, and you are clicking on all cylinders. I had her more dark horse than contender, but, I mean, if she plays this well... And again, David Kane seemed to insinuate that in the pressure-packed moments, that has not always been the brightest moment for Madison Keys throughout the course of her career that no, she has come up No, but that's short. why maybe this is going to be a whole new year. Maybe last year was like a, a reality check, a reset Man. moment, and now we're going to have a whole new Madison Keys who like love, again, maybe, look, maybe I'm dreaming, but who knows? <laughs> no, you, you've talked me into it. I'm a fan. Are you... When a player plays the week before a slam, it's a little different here in January because everyone's fresh, but are you usually predisposed to picking them or picking against them? Because, like, last year, and I know Sinner won the title, Drew Chapo round one. I don't know anyone who picked Sinner to win that match because it was just, you could see he was drained at the end of the week before. Keyes has played back-to-back three setters. She'll have a day off, I, I think, before her first round match, but that's, you know, for someone who didn't play that much tennis last year, that's a little concerning. It's a little concerning because she's injury prone, right? But I think men and women are different. I think when the men get tired, they have to play off best of five sets. So that is a whole different argument. With the women, I think that she does get one or two days off. Um, Playing against Allison Risk in the final is going to be brutal and tough and challenging no matter matter who wins. It's going to be a physical match. But I I think it's in a way it's good for her because she hasn't played that much. Um, It is a little bit dicey coming up so close to it. But in in this particular situation, every situation is different. In this situation, I think it's good as long as she does not get some kind of injury, which fingers crossed. No, fair. All right. With that in mind, do you want to hear my Meyer Sharif case? Why I think she can win? No, I'm just kidding. That is a great, that is a great, great, exactly what I would expect from you. Yeah, that would have been re- a great <laughs> example. This I is, wish. This is, this is what I came here for. So I know. Is. I wish I had a Sharif case. Uh, I could make a Kostyuk case. I've definitely got a two-minute pitch for Marta Kostyuk in oh, me. I'm like, yeah, that's a great, that's a good player. Yeah, I'm looking down here in the rankings and like, okay, who can I talk myself into the most? I don't know. I had Ostapenko because she has. I mean, I, I feel like I've had a theme here where I'm like, people aren't really talking about her. So mm-hmm. like, maybe this is her moment to pull like another Roland Garros miracle out of her out of her uh, back pocket, but. But it's a stretch. Well, I'm I'm trying to forget who are trying to forget. I'm trying to remember who'd she play in singles this week. She lost to Bedosa. Bedosa yeah, in the first match, which is fine. Yeah, and Bedosa would be on the bottom of my second tier again. There's some players, you know, we haven't talked about her. I think Iga um, it belongs on that short list as well. Like she's right around tier two, tier three. I mean, she played so well last week and just. You could name the entire top 50 of WTA and they'd have a a case for winning this title. So can I throw one more out there? I think this one's a little funky, but when we're talking Lamp and Lop, last American male, last American women's player, I would say, and I'm pretty sure she's up in that top section of the draw as well, which is just brutal. And she might even play Anisimova first. But Shelby Rogers, like... Oh, my um, God, did Shelby look good last week. And just, uh, you know, quarterfinalist, I believe, at this event last year. I want to look at what she's where she's at in the draw. So she's, but she's playing um, Anna Conja, who's back from injury. And then she's in the same section as Dolahide and Collins would play them next round. So a very another American section. Yeah, that's an interesting one. I mean, Shelby, again, quarterfinalist last year. I just think she's so confident right now, so fit as well. Playing the best tennis of her career. I could see a push there. I would see her making it to the third round out of that section, like beating a Collins or a Dolahide. I could mm-hmm. see that happening for sure. And But then 
Contivate. I'm not sure what happened there. That could be a very good match, though. Yeah, that's she's got the sort of weapons though to put a net on her back foot, and so that to me gets interesting. Um, that's a great pick. Would I pick her to win the entire thing? I don't think so. But to make it to week two, yeah, looks possible. Yeah. All right. Do I want to make? I'm like looking Kaya Yuvan. Do we see the Fiona Farrow push that I thought was? I mean, possible? I feel like we've wasted enough people's time. I do love. <laughs> I do love seeing the the draw uh, the name changes for Gavrilova to Seville, and then yeah. Sloane Stevens though is still Sloane Stevens. That's a is great she, name. You can't change Sloane Stevens. Is she going by Sloane Eltador? No, she's not in the draw. But I would be surprised if oh. she did, just because like it's a sweet name. Yeah, that would be a good one. I've thought about this before, especially during these like coaching interviews I've done. I'm like, which of these last names would I be better as? Like. I was interviewing this is, again totally off topic here but I was like I was interviewing Arkansas women's tennis head coach and former all-American Christina Sanchez Quintanar and I was like do you know how much better I would be at podcasting if I was Alex Sanchez Quintanar like Alex Gruskin average Alex Sanchez Quintanar that would be my silence do good that's a I, great name yeah I mean, you were a, saying you were saying David Kane's name a lot in this podcast and I was like that's a great name it is it's it a is strong good. name yeah it, it, it is a good one. It, it, it does the job for sure. I mean, look, I like Alex Gruskin. I like Nina Pantic. Both great names. Um, but we could do better. Like, again. We could improve. Should we start going under pseudonyms? Like, I don't well, know. Well, if I'm going to ever actually have my own, like, my biased opinions out in the world, I'd have to have a pseudonym. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Silence, do bad. Um, yeah, that would be my go-to. Yeah, I think I'd go by UTR since that's now free, since you guys are universal tennis. I'll just exactly. take yeah, You can be my UTR. That's definitely free. Jeff Sackman said, I'm going to commit a crime someday. I'm going to be on the run, but then I'm going to tweet something out in typical fashion, and it'll be the giveaway. It'll be like some sort of take about the world 56 at the time, and they'll be like, all right, he's hiding in the Caymans. We found him. And it's like, I was like, yeah, that's... It's not impossible. It's it's uh, it's certainly on the the spectrum of scenarios. But with all of that said, do I want to ask you for a prediction? Do I want to be mean? Do you want to give of a who prediction? Who I think is going to win? Who wins the? Who wins? I mean, it I'm going to pick Barty. I'm going to yeah. pick Barty because it's the safest, safest possible choice, and that is how soft I am today. <laughs> all right, fair. Barty followed by my second choice, Madison Keys. A balance of good and crazy. I thought you were good and evil. I was going to laugh. No, I meant uh, like a good safe choice and a crazy choice. I like that. What about men's side? Ooh, men's side. That's impossible because what what's going on? It's true. I mean, you could just I'm say I'm going to go with Rafa. Now. You know what? You know what? Even if Novak is in the draw, let's just say, let's just go with Rafa because he's been so calm and you just want to turn him in and that's also a pro and con for him, but he has a little bit of a break, so it's fine. Um, I'm going to go with Rafa and I'm going to go with Barty. I think this could be this, the tournament of sinner. Like he's in the CT pass section. Yeah, you like it's a it's a non, double entendre. Um, I I just think the sin man. I mean, I watched him at ATP Cup and he just looked ready. Just everything about him just seemed ready for a break. He'll make like the semifinals. Then he's not gonna win it. Uh, I'm just saying. I I, I I'm, that would be my pick to, if I'm being creative on the men's side. If I'm being basic, I would probably pick zero. Um. Yeah, pick who? I'm, pick who? And probably pick Zverev. I hate to say it. What? How is that basic? That's an outrageous choice. Zverev on the ma- yeah. is it? Yeah, come on. He's the three seed. Yeah. Um, 
All right, well, according to not UTR, but according to Tennis Abstract, if they're all in the draw, it's 30% Medvedev, 30% Djokovic, 20% Zverev. If they're not both in the draw, it becomes 40% Medvedev, 30% Zverev. Big drop. All right. Well, look, if we're going to be putting out these kind of calculations on a podcast with me, Jesus, uh, we have (laughs) our insides prediction is 23% Novak, 21% Medvedev, 15% Nadal. Zverev, it's like not even making a fifteen percent. He's down at a twelve. Okay, He's but that, I think that's over. That's rewarding Nadal for past performance. I think. A little I think li- it's rewarding him high. for just. No, it's not past performance. It's it's based on the past fifteen months. That's the stats. Interesting. So everything that we do, all of our stats are based only in the last fifteen months because yeah. time degrades the value of your past results. It's. I mean, you know, you we can make an argument for that one. Here. I was going to say, you said we weren't going to get political here, but you're. Well, we look, yeah. now that you've mentioned tennis abstract 50 times, no, I'm kidding. And then um, <laughs> the insights, the insights chooses Barty at 17%. And the next person was actually Bedosa at 10, with, but Contavite also 10%. So, right, you know. That's fair. Bedosa at 10. Yeah, that might be the one we missed on this. Although. We did, miss, we did sleep on that one, but I, yeah. I, that's okay. Yeah, you know what? That's too That's too normal. Or look for the Putenseva. That's what I'm saying. Yulia Putenseva. She's winning this. 0.2% chance, according to UTR. Universal Tennis, excuse wow. me. Wow. Um, all right. With all that said, Nina, what can we expect from you and the crew throughout the next two weeks? Yeah, so I'll be covering the tournament for Universal Tennis. Um, the the direct link is blog.universaltennis.com, but you'll find it on Twitter and on my accounts. And you definitely should be following at Universal Tennis on Twitter and Instagram because we have tons of good content coming. I mean, like I've mentioned, our stuff is based on stats uh, over the past 15 months. Tennis in, our insights is actually a pretty cool tool because it shows the predictions by percentage, making it really simple to follow like head to head and like who is supposed to win this match. Would I put money on any of this? No, but it is really helpful. So it's fun to cover a tournament based more on stats than anything, you know, versus my uh, extreme biased opinions. No, I disagree. I prefer your biased opinions over numbers. Numbers are overrated. Your opinions never lie. Um, but with that said, Nina, as always, it is a pleasure to have you on the show. Be safe. Be healthy. I'm gonna, I say we talk over the next two weeks. I'm, I'm dragooning you for at least one mini break episode. We'll see what happens with the Bardi Osaka showdown. Yeah, exactly. If we're still I'll friends. See, I'll see you on Spaces in, you know, in three days, four days, whatever it may be. Perfect. Yes, thank you as always. Hope all of you enjoyed my conversation with Universal Tennis's Nina Pantic. A thank you to Nina, as always, for tolerating my nonsense, being willing to come on the show. Hopefully, we'll have a chance to chat with her throughout the two weeks at the Australian Open, get her thoughts on all of the action as it unfolds. Of course, again, you can follow all of her work on Twitter, all of her work on the Universal Tennis website as well. If you're not following it, you're just missing out on fantastic work. So, again, a thank you to Nina for coming on the show. Again, plenty of preview content for all of you listeners. We've talked men's and women's top contenders. We've talked men's and women's dark horses. We've talked about the Americans we'll be watching most closely. Our irrational excitement for players earlier in the week as well. Draw previews coming up this weekend. We'll have qualifying recaps for you tomorrow as well. And, of course, again, David Kane going to come on the show later to not only talk about the latest developments in the Novak Djokovic saga, but also talk about the tennis we've seen unfold on court this week, how that impacts what we expect to happen at the Australian Open moving forward. Of course, all of that content available, plus some thoughts on the upcoming college tennis season kicks off in spades this weekend, all that and so much more. 
all available on our website, crackedrackets.com. Of course, like, rate, subscribe, review to this show, the Great Shot Podcast, Correct Interviews Podcast, and our YouTube channel to ensure you don't miss out on any of our content. If you need the more immediate updates, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, we are at Cracked Rackets. You want to message me directly, I am at A.L. Gruskin. A shout-out, as always, to our super producer, Daniel Westoff, for the f- of an editing job he does day in, day out. Shout out as well to our friends at Tennis Point. You all know the deal. Tennis-point.com. That promo code is CR15 with all of that said. For my fantastic guest, Nina Pantic, our super producer, Daniel Westoff, our friends at Tennis Point from all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say. That's the break, and we'll talk to you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone. <laughs>